we are not promised our next breath, let alone the next day. So we should all be living with so much urgency to live out our dreams, to live the life that we want, to go after that feeling, like the feelings that you want to feel every day. Grief is still a taboo subject for a lot of people. They struggle to talk about it and may have feelings of shame around how they are handling it. And also they do their best to suppress it, which can turn into a mental health ticking time bomb. I have with me Whitney Lynn Allen, who is a grief coach and the author of the most incredible book called Running in Trauma Stilettos. And together we do a deep dive into Whitney's story, which is going to astound you. And what you can do if you or someone you know is struggling with grief or trauma and want to know what you can do about it. And welcome, Whitney Lynn Allen. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Thank you for I having am. me. Oh, this is exciting. Um, yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good. Um, I think we should jump straight in. It's, I mean, I read your book, uh, Running in Trauma Stilettos. Obviously, the title itself is eye-catching. I haven't read a book in such a long time that had me transfixed this way. In fact, I only to, I, I was reading. Wow, that's uh, like like the biggest compliment. Well, I, I got near towards the end, and I had to put it down because I had to go out. So it would I would have done it in one sitting if I'd had my if I'd had my way. Um, but it was it was I just wanted to know how your story turned out. And so for anyone listening, can you explain how I've got a copy of this book, why it's been written, and what happened to you? Yeah, so I guess I need to start, um, you know, uh, two days before my late husband Ryan's accident. So as of October 12, 2021, um, ironically, that is was our eight-year wedding anniversary. And kind of to set the scene here, um, I was 26 weeks pregnant with our second son, who we had already named Leo at that time. Um, we had at that time a three and a half year old. He, our our first son Jackson was three and a half, um, and Ryan was a canine officer at a small borough um, in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, in the United States, um, with his canine Louie. And I was working as a medical malpractice defense attorney, and I had been practicing for about nine or ten years at that point. Um, and we just had, you know, what you would kind of think is like a very normal, um, we're very content, happy life, um, looking forward to our second child and 20, 48 hours after October 12th on October 14th, 2021, um, my husband, Ryan was stung by a bee, uh, which he had been stung before in the past with no problems. And on this particular day, he went into um, anaphylaxis, and that caused him to go into cardiac arrest. Um, And due to the lack of oxygen from the cardiac arrest, he sustained an anoxic brain injury um, because he was deprived of oxygen for more than 20 minutes or about 20 minutes. Uh, So that kind of started this cascade of events that transpired over six months, which eventually led to uh, his death on April 7th, um, 2022. 
Um, so obviously a lot of things happen in the mm. in-between. Um, so is there anything in particular that you want to know? Cause it's just like a very long yeah, yeah. saga. Um, and obviously my book goes into a lot of the details of that. It does. And what struck me was not only were you facing this situation, but it, it was reading like there was this one trauma, a traumatic event after another that was making this even more difficult for you. Can you open up a little bit about that? As in, it was just astonishing to read. And I was thinking how you got through this was incredible. But could you just open up a little bit about what sort of things went on, you know, whilst Ryan was in hospital and then a hospice, what was what was happening? Yeah, um, yeah, of course, uh, what started this was my my husband's bee sting and his brain injury but then like you said so much happens after like in crisis including you know what's going on behind the scenes like family dynamics um family can be complicated in the best of circumstances and obviously family dynamics can be very very complicated in crisis um, so that was in the background. And then also COVID was in the background. So we were at the mercy of a lot of very strict COVID restrictions, which made it very hard for us to go visit Ryan, um, visit together, which made it a very isolating experience. And on top of all of that, I was very pregnant. Um, and, you know, because of COVID, I actually got COVID right before I had our second son, Leo. And that caused me to have to have a C-section by myself because my sister-in-law, who was supposed to be my support person in the the OR, also tested positive when she got to the hospital, even though her rapid test was negative that morning. Um, So I had to give birth by myself. And that was obviously very traumatic. Um, You know, not obviously without Ryan, too, because he was... um, unconscious and in a coma at that time still. Uh, And then he was put on hospice, which, you know, if if no one really knows about hospice, I know it can be a beautiful experience, but for us, it really was uh, traumatic because watching a 35-year-old kind of shrink away and wither away is a lot different um, than I would guess seeing a very old person on hospice uh, because, you know, their bodies are ready to die. And although Ryan's brain was sick, his body was actually very healthy. His heart was strong. Uh, so it took a really long time for him to pass away uh, and die, which was uh, an excruciatingly painful experience for us to watch. Um, so, I think those are like the main ones, Um, Mm. like the main traumas throughout kind of like the big trauma of Brian's accident and then all these traumas prior to his death. Yeah, it it really was. It's completely transfixed me. And I was was wondering as I was reading it, how did you cope? What was what was helpful for you at that time? Because we can often feel quite uncomfortable Mm -hmm. If someone's experiencing trauma around us we've, and we don't know what to do about that, um, we can go into avoidance mm-hmm. mode or we can be quite we can be quite clumsy. So what helped you when you were uh, going through that experience? So 
it's probably not the answer you want to hear, but I mean, honestly, it's your body when you're going through such a traumatic experience becomes completely numb to protect you. Um, so really there was nothing that helped me like during that time, like my body and my brain was just like in survival mode. Mm -hmm. I was numb a lot of the time. And that's what your mind does. That was, that's what your brain does when you're in trauma and crisis like that to protect you. Um, because if you were to experience the actual pain associated with all these events, you would not be able to survive. Like that's why our bodies mm. do this. Um, so that is actually the answer. Um, and I, I guess your second question is like, how do you show up in a way if you're not the person that's in trauma, but how do you show up for someone mm. that is, is dealing with that? And it is literally just to show up and, be uncomfortable and don't think that there are any social graces anymore. Like if somebody is just sitting and staring out a window and doesn't even acknowledge your existence, like let them, but be with them too, mm -hmm. because that person is not in this world. Like they are somewhere else. Um, it is an out of body experience. And when you're going through that, there are none of the niceties that we have as like normal functioning people when we're not in crisis. So having very low expectations of normal interaction. Um, and then also anticipating needs, like do not ask a person in crisis or trauma what they need because they will not tell you because they don't even know what they need. Uh, um, okay. Showing up with coffee that they like, meals that, that you know they like, even though they might not eat it um, gift cards to, you know, like places to order food, because if they have children, they still have to feed their kids, um, coming over. And if, you know, there's laundry that needs to be done, just do it. Don't ask, just do it. Um, childcare, um, like so many of these tangible things that people don't think of, but just taking anything you can off of their plate so they can just focus on surviving. I love that. I love that. That's such great advice. And um, is there anything which, because sometimes people feel like they want to vocalize something, is there anything that you, with anyone going through trauma, doesn't want to hear or, or be asked? Is there anything that's unhelpful? So, yeah, I mean, there's a few things that are extremely unhelpful. Mm. So it, it's something that I call, it's um, like grief sabotage when, because we have this tendency as humans to what to like relate to people. So when we do that, we're like, oh, I know how you feel because my ex like died, um, like this person died. But what this does is you just made it about you. Mm. So don't do that unless, so with everything, consent is essential. So if you do have an experience that you feel like is close enough in relation for the person to like feel better because they understand what, actually understand what you're going through, ask them um, before sharing, because sometimes the person does not want to hear any comparison at all. So ask them if it's okay if you share and why you feel it would be helpful. Um, so that's one of the things I, you know, grief sabotage, do not just like go ahead and share your own story. Like that really, that is not helpful. Um, another thing I do not enjoy when people say, because I feel like it is very isolating and makes you feel like you are like other, 
and um you know a person can has the privilege of not being you and not being in the trauma and it makes you feel separate so that is the phrase i can't imagine because that made me feel like my pain is too much for you to even try to imagine um so that's another one that i mm. do not think is helpful i think that's controversial i think people would disagree with that i did not enjoy that mm. i felt that was very unhelpful. Um, if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. <laughs> because I think that saying nothing is a 1000% better than saying the wrong thing. Um, and then what else? What other things are just like not helpful at all? Um, you know, any platitudes, you do, we do not need to put rose colored glasses on everything. When something really horrible happens, it needs to just be horrible. Mm. Because when you try to like make everything positive, you are invalidating someone's experience and truth. Um, so don't do that. Don't say, oh, it could be worse, or he's in a better place. Like those platitudes that we wanna say does not make the situation better and then invalidate someone that is grieving and in trauma. Um, so those are the big ones, I feel like. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, especially the ones you just mentioned, I think it's to try, it makes the person saying it feel better, you know, they've somehow imparted mm -hmm. some sort of um, wonderful wisdom, um, but they often try to soothe their, the anxiety they're feeling in themselves by trying to help the other person, yeah. and obviously it, it doesn't often translate. Just a quick break to say I am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine. 2023, we are kicking your ass. Now, this is a channel of experimental content I know you are going to love. Now, Mindset Change Another Level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations without ads, intros and outros so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. Such great advice. And this is why right. I'm really glad to have had you on the show because I've never really, I've never had anyone on the show talking about grief. And uh, especially with, you know, when I, after I connected with your book, um, going back to the book, Running in Trauma Stilettos, uh, where did the title come from? So this title came to me very randomly. I wrote because I have two small children. Uh, a lot of the time that I, I wrote was in the early morning hours when I had time like by myself. And as I was writing, I just had this vision of me running in stilettos down like a hospital corridor because we were in hospitals all the time. And that's how I got the name. And I, and I love the imagery associated with it because, you know, how hard is it or almost impossible to like run in stilettos. And that's what the experience felt like, like a very painful, almost impossible uh, situation. 
I'm so glad I asked that question because I think that it's, it gives me a, it's such a great answer. Um, obviously, as a guy, I'm never going to know really um, what it's like to run in, in, in stilettos. But for you, I'd, obviously, it, it paints a wonderful picture. Um, well, not say wonderful picture, but paints an image of what you are going through. And just just reading this and then realizing that actually this was a very recent event, as in, you know, it was about 2021. Um, what drove mm-hmm. you to write this book? Where did it come from? Because it sounds like you were going through so much. And then obviously Ryan mm-hmm. uh, passing away. Where, where where did this book come from? And what was what did you want from writing this book? Yeah, that's such a good question. I was actually, I was thinking about that last night mm-hmm. because so many people have asked me when I'm going to write a second book. Mm-hmm. And what is so funny now is that I like right in this moment, like I don't have the desire to like write. Like I feel like what I'm sharing right now and doing is where I am supposed to be right now. Mm-hmm. But when Ryan died, I, it's like, I couldn't not write about it. Um, I describe it almost like, I don't know, I'm not very religious, but it was a very spiritual experience. Like it was like somebody was calling me to write this book and I couldn't not write it. Um, You know, I started writing this book. It like the words started coming to me when I was in the Starbucks waiting to pick up my husband's ashes and death certificates. And I started writing on the notes section of my iPhone because it's like the word just had to come out of me. And I could not feel not anxious until the book was completely written. And I I knew that it was complete. So I know that's like such a weird answer, but it was like kind of something else that is bigger than all of us was telling me and guiding me to write this book to help other people going through similar experiences. And because I received so many messages and comments from people during Ryan's, um, you know, hospitalizations and prior to his death about how just sharing my story online was, was helping them in some way, because the themes of resilience and faith and hope, and, you know, just moving, trying to live every day with this horrible truth, um, but doing it, trying to do it with as much grace as possible, which sometimes was not grace at all. But that's just how it goes. Um, You know, I knew that this book needed to be written because no one shares about this kind of stuff in such a raw way. um, Because they're afraid of maybe like backlash or criticism, because we don't want to be seen as the person that, you know, does like these bad coping mechanisms or acts badly towards medical providers. Um, you know, and that's all in the book. Like that's all Mm. really what happened because the experience was so intense. And when you are in that, you are not the person you were were before the crisis. You are a completely different person. Um, And when you're in survival and you're you're Mm. fighting for someone's life basically and recovery, and that person is somebody you love more than anything in this world, you do not you are completely not yourself. Like you would do anything to protect that person. And that means sometimes looking really ugly on the outside, like doing things that you normally wouldn't do, like cursing at people that you normally would not curse at. Um, 
And that was the experience. And I don't think a lot of people would admit that they did that. (laughs) Um, And I just went there. Like I shared everything that happened in its rawest form. So because I know that if I went through that and it happened to me that other people have gone through that and experienced similar things and, Mm -hmm. but they may feel guilty, be feeling guilty about it. And I don't want people to feel guilty about things that happen when we're grieving and in crisis and in trauma. I think I, I love what you just said just then, because I, I think, because in the book, obviously it, it sounds like you were fighting uh, for, for Ryan and you were fighting to, you know, with what you felt were at times in, is inappropriate treatment, you know, where there might've been, mm-hmm. you know, something that had been forgotten in regards to, uh, um, there was some sort of clearing of a pipe. I, I can't remember what it was called. Um, and I think they've done it too mm-hmm. many times. And you were very matter of fact about, you know, where you were, what your thoughts were on that. Was that, and obviously, 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 because you're fighting for that, you, you say that you, obviously you were cursing, et cetera. And I think it is important for people mm-hmm. to know that then they are not themselves in these sorts of situations. And it's, and it's nothing to be ashamed yeah. of. And I think that message right. comes, it comes across really powerfully in your book because I think then shame on top of what you're going through or even afterwards you know it's that in itself is uh, is is quite toxic is that why you wrote the book is that why mm-hmm. you wanted people to, be, to almost if they hit read this be a, not a, we're not in an okay situation but understand that what they're going through is normal no matter how it seems on the outside that's exactly yeah, that's exactly right. I, I didn't want any because we in grief and trauma and crisis, mm. we experience all of these emotions. Uh, and I don't think that society as a whole portrays what that looks like appropriately, like how that really is. It's not just feeling sad and despair and like crying at someone's bedside. Mm. There's anger, there's resentment, there is guilt, there is um actually like relief and peace sometimes when when Mm. somebody passes away after this like you know months or years like ordeal of them being sick and there's some sort of finality and um knowing that they're no longer suffering we don't talk about these things um and people they do they feel shameful they feel guilty for feeling this broad array of emotions associated with their grief that we do not talk about so it I'm is, just, it, it's, yeah. it's making these things yeah. normal. It's normalizing the vast array of emotions and grief that people experience. Yeah. And, and, and looking at that, I mean, you talk about, you talk about almost like in a spiritual sense and there's always almost a sense of, I call it, I was talking to someone the other day and it's almost like a spiritual shaming of, you know, it mm-hmm. sounds a bit woo woo or it sounds a bit, you know, faith based. And, but I thought it was beautiful that, you took something out of what your this unique experience you had, and I think you mentioned it in your book that um, your spirit, as well as Ryan's, told me that I had a bigger purpose and that had been ignited because of the unique life experience I'd been through and survived. Obviously, there was a bit more in the book, which mm-hmm. is really worth reading. Um, again, taking this whole thing as you know, looking back at it now, what have you taken from it? What have what how has it changed you and your life and reality? Yeah, I think if it has changed me in every way possible, I mean, like every like ounce of my 
spirit and soul and mind is not the same that it was before going through this. Um, you know, I, I think when we go through, especially with a young person, because it's so out of order and seems very unnatural. And when it's a spouse, when somebody is like tied up in your life and identity so much, um, it changes you on a fundamental level. Um, it changes the way that you think about the world. It changes the way you think about life and death. It changes the way you want to live the rest of your days. Um, you know, there isn't anything that has not been touched by what has happened to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I changed my the entire trajectory of my life. Like I I no longer practice law because that didn't bring me enough joy for me to justify doing it anymore. And I know that I don't want to live my life every day, like for the most of my life, you know, in a vocation that does not serve me and does not serve others in a way that I think is um, justifiable as a life goal. Um, I, I can't, I can't justify that. No amount of money can justify that. No amount of creed and um, value that society, you know, looks at lawyers. That doesn't matter to me anymore. It's, you know, mm-hmm. how can I give back to people from this experience and how can I leave a legacy that actually matters? And how do I live my day feeling like I am living authentically? Um, And how do I live with pure joy? Um, Because I think so many of us are waiting, 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 you know, to feel real joy, waiting to lose weight, waiting to, you know, like ask somebody out. And like, we're, we're continually living our lives in that waiting period because we think we have so much time and we do not. Um, I mean, we are all, we are not promised our next breath, let alone the next day. So we should all be living with so much urgency to live out our dreams, to live the life that we want, to go after that feeling, the like the feelings that you want to feel every day. We should not be waiting for to do any of that. I I mean, what you've just said, by the way, is incredible. <laughs> And I hope anyone listening oh, to that, you. yeah, honestly, tr- truly, that just, uh, wow, that's really hit. Um, I think anyone listening to that, I think that is a wake-up call. And you, you had a big wake-up call in your life, and you seem to have taken so much from it. And, and you know, I've interviewed a few people over the past year. I've only been interviewing for the people for the past year on the podcast. It was, it was doing something else kind of before then. Um, and there seems to be this theme of... Um, it happened to me where um, I, I got to the point where I was nearly going to take my life because of an anxiety disorder. And then I had an awakening mm. at that moment that led me to be in, in to be able to do what I love, to live with joy, to live with passion, to live with purpose. That came from having an anxiety disorder. And there's a theme of people I speak to, have, they reach that darkest time in their lives. And then suddenly there's this change, an awakening that comes out of that. And they're living life completely different. What's your thoughts on that? Do, do you think it's life happens for us, not to us? Or do you think that's too simple? What would, how would you see it? Mm, that's so interesting. And mm. I don't know, this might not resonate with everybody. Um, but after going through what I went through, I think that each of us does have a destiny 
Um, you know, I, I think mm -hmm. about, I would never have become the person that I am now. Like I would not become this authentic, the most authentic version of myself had Ryan not died, which is so bizarre to think about. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and not to say that I wouldn't have been happy and content in that life. And if I could have him back and go back to my old life in a second, I would, but you know, I've had to come to terms with the fact that I would have never been this version of myself, which I perceive as the best ver version and authentic version of myself without having my husband die. So to me, how I kind of reconcile that is that I was meant to do this. And Ryan was meant to live 35 years and have the impact that he did, which was great. He, mm. he made a amazing impact on his community in this 35 years and that was his that's his legacy and that was his destiny and he was not supposed to live past 35 years but this is my destiny and this is what i'm supposed to be doing and i think i think we all have we all have free will you know in the middle um and i think we just need to trust our intuition as to what feels authentic to us and i think most of most of us walking around are living completely inauthentically. We know that we're miserable in a relationship or doing the work that we're doing, and we still just continue to do it day in and day out because it is comfortable. Um, and I don't think that is a way to live. Um, so I, I hope. I mean, that kind of answers your question, but I think. I think we all have a destiny. I think mm. that there are times in our lives where we can either rise or we can let the pressure of things or our circumstances dictate the rest of our lives. And we can be a victim and we can let th these things define us instead of writing our own story and future. Yeah, I absolutely love what you've just said. And I sometimes think about the, 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 the comfort zone isn't even that comfortable, but it's just familiar. Mm -hmm. And I love, there was a, mm -hmm. I, I don't know who it's by, but there's a motivational poem. I, I posted it on socials and uh, a lot of people were looking at it and it was choose your hard. And I think if we looked at it in, in this mm -hmm. respect is your familiar zone is hard living, you know, a groundhog day that isn't yeah. even yours is, is hard. But taking a risk to live a life full of passion, purpose, and joy is also hard. Taking that risk is hard. And we have to choose. We mm -hmm. have to choose. Or I sometimes think something's going to happen that is going to wake us up to it. And mm -hmm. uh, just listen how you're living your life right now. I mean, it, it, it sounds like you're so happy. And, uh, you know, what's come out of, you've taken a lot from what's happened. And you're not letting it define you in a way which is holding you back. You've let it let it shape in a, a powerful way of you beginning to see yourself now and your future. Yeah, I, I think I am so happy and I, I do feel like I am doing what I was put on this earth to do. And mm. but there's like this duality right in life. Um, but there's so much sadness but it's living, grieving is really learning to live with both, right? Um, we have to move forward. If we're going to move forward um, in the sense that we're not just going to live the rest of our days after loss in this like autopilot, 
we have to learn to integrate both of the joy and this incredible sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's living with both all the time um, because that's always there. But then we have this joy too, right? And then we also have this, when you lose somebody, you know, you're, like I described, your thoughts on life are, are really different. And I feel like I have a responsibility, not only to myself, not only to Ryan, because he didn't get a chance to live and he would have loved to be here. And he doesn't get that chance, but I do. So I always think about the day that I believe that I will see Ryan again when I die. I don't want him to say, why didn't you live your life? Like, why did you die when I died? Like, I want him to say, I'm proud of you for for living this beautiful life. Like, you live for the both of us. Um, So thinking about that that thought got me out of bed like every day in the beginning, like his voice um, telling me that he wouldn't want me to just not live my life. I think that honestly, that's incredible. I think this is what this, you know, the podcast is called mindset change and just listening to what your you've been through and your mindset, you know, this is, this is an example of what mindset change does um, in regards to you know mm-hmm. taking learning from your past experiences and and doing something with it, if you were if you were to give any advice to anyone listening to this episode who's struggling right now with trauma, grief, what would be something? What would be something that you could offer as, a, as they're listening away? Yeah, I think it would be that it's going to be hard, but if you wait for it to not feel hard, that you're never going to start living again, because you need to start practicing getting back to your life when it feels really painful and heavy. And just like you can't move forward, because that's how that's how you move forward. That's the only way because you're never going to feel ready, you're never going to feel start feeling happy and joyful. um, And start to laugh again until you start practicing getting back to your life. Um, You know, you're going to live in limbo for a really long time. Like this, all of this stuff is hard. It's not going to feel comfortable. It's not going to feel joyful. Having conversations is going to be painful, but how are you, how are you supposed to learn how to live with this truth, this horrible truth that you lost your person and then, you know, be able to have just a normal conversation if you don't do it over and over and over and over and over again. You know, you're, it's like you're being reborn. You have to relearn how to live your life again. Um, so I would say there's a balance. Like I would never, I do not think that you should just keep going and going and going and get burned out. Absolutely not. But do I think that there needs to be intentionality and, in, and action in order to move forward? Yes. Do I think that you need rest and need time to grieve and cry and scream and do all those things? Yes. But we need to do both. And I think with grief, you find those people that emphasizes the one, like the resilience porn, like get after it, like good vibes, like all these things. And then there's the camp that's like, oh, just sit in like sit in bed all day and watch Netflix and eat ice cream and like that's okay. I think there's a middle ground where we need mm-hmm. to live. Right. I don't think I, I think those two extremes are 
are not helpful at all. No, I, and I, and I love that. There's, you know, is we sometimes do this polarity, you know, thing. It's got to be either or, isn't it? And and sometimes it's it's just okay to, you know, just to have a day where you're just not going to do anything. But it's not something that you could mm-hmm. you'd want to do every day, and you know you can't just complete this this machine being resilient every day either. It's there has to be, mm-hmm. you know, a, a blending somewhere and being okay with that, being, being okay with where you are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Where are you at the moment in life? What's been happening for you since you wrote the book? Oh gosh, so much. Um, so obviously I wrote my book, Running in Trauma Solitos. It came out February of this year and it has been well received, which I'm so grateful for. Uh, it's, it's been helping so many people through their own struggles. Um, and it's exactly what I wanted it to be in terms of helping others. Um, and I also became a certified grief coach. So I, I started working one-on-one with people going through their own grief journeys to help them move forward with more peace and more intention and more joy um, after specifically losing a spouse. But I also work with people who have experienced other losses as well. Um, you know, so that's kind of like the career side. And then I met my boyfriend and we are moving in together where we bought a house together actually. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just heard something in the background. Um, no and we're moving in together in June and you know, my boys are growing. Um, Leo is, oh my gosh, he's almost 17 months and Jackson is five. And when this all, right. all happened, Jackson was three and a half. And I was 26 weeks pregnant. So it's just, you know, time is passing. Um, but I'm just so grateful to be where I am now. Yeah. And uh, moving, you know, for anyone who's listening to this and has, you know, ha- has lost someone and has the guilt or the, they don't know about moving into, you know, finding love again. I think you have a wonderful philosophy around that mm-hmm. in, in regards to, you know, what's helped you, um, you know, connect with your, with your new partner. Can you open up a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, there is so much guilt associated with, uh, you know, opening yourself up mm-hmm. to love again after the loss of a spouse, um, because, you know, you feel like, well, one, you feel like if you go into another relationship that you're leaving your person behind, or there's, you know, you're cheating on them, or they wouldn't be happy with this decision, or, you know, you're doing, there's so much shame involved with it, like involved with that. Um, and also I get asked a lot, like about the time period, like, when is it right? Um, mm. And, you know, my answer is like, it's so individual um, when somebody feels ready, quote unquote, to do that. And just because you you start dating or opening yourself up to love again, if it doesn't feel right, that doesn't mean like you have to continue. I think it's like we we put all these rules on ourselves, like well, if I start, I have to you know continue. It's just you, you won't you don't really know until you know, right? So it's if you feel like you have a curiosity about what it is like to go on a date with somebody and just to have fun. Like, I think that's okay. I don't think you need like a real reason to want to 
start living your life again, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, you've gone through something really horrible. You deserve to have fun. You deserve, uh, you know, companionship. You deserve intimacy, all these things. Um, you know, so that's something that you have to determine what feels right to you. And I think that is so like a individual thing for everybody. So I think it's just trusting yourself that you know yeah. when you want to embark on that. I, I think that's beautifully said, beautifully said. Um, well, we're coming to the end of your interview. I could talk to you for ages. I think people listening to this are thinking, why is the end of this interview? <laughs> um, no, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, the book Running in Trauma Stilettos is out now. Um, I'm going to put um, your social links in the, the show notes. But if anyone's listening to this and thinking, I want to know more about this book, uh, where can they find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can always go to my website. That is Whitney, L-Y-N, Allen, A-L-L-E-N.com. Uh, if you are interested in, you know, uh, grief coaching, if you are having trouble navigating through your own grief, um, you can fill out an application on my site and you can also learn more about my story there. And then on social, I am on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn <laughs> and TikTok at Whitney Lynn, L-Y-N Allen. It's honestly, it's, if you listen to this, um, Go and check out uh, Whitney's uh, socials. I was I was having a bit of a binge earlier, and it's so much good advice. Um, and I, I love your vulnerability and the way that you open up. And I think I can see why it's you know your videos do so well uh, because of the way that you're connecting with your audience. So I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for everything that you do. Um, you know, I, I know this was a complete you know, devastating and, and tragic experience, but you've turned it into something that's helping so many people. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me and Whitney Lynn Allen for this powerful conversation. I have a question to ask you. Will you keep living with apathy and complacency, believing you have time, plenty of time to delay living with joy and purpose? Or will you wake up and do something about it today? Thanks for listening. And I look forward to connecting with you in the very next episode. Have the most wonderful, wonderful day. Mm-hmm.